Wow, good stuff. Round of applause right there for the video. Rooted, Rooted. How many of you guys have heard of Rooted? All right, excellent. Rooted is a 10-week spiritual growth experience that Evie Fullerton is going through together. We started it last year. We've had hundreds of people go through it. Whether you are a longtime follower of Jesus or whether you're new to checking Jesus out, it's great for everybody because anytime you gather together around God's word and open up the scriptures and open one another's life, you start to experience transformation. And so I want to invite you this fall to join a rooted group. You join into small groups over a 10-week period. You, you study God's word. You do certain experiences together. And all of it is to help you understand how to connect with God, connect with the church, and connect with your purpose together. So if you're interested in a little bit more information about Rooted, you're going to be hearing more about that in the next few weeks. But we want to encourage you to sign up as soon as possible because we've got limited space. Um, there's a, some signs that say you can go sign up on the patio. That is not true. We do not have signups on the patio yet. That's going to be in a couple weeks. But you can sign up right now on your EV Free app. Or you can go online onto the website and sign up there. It is a great way to do that. But we will be out on the patio over the next couple weeks to help you get connected and get going. All right? Well, my name is Aaron, by the way. Hi. Good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm, a pa- I'm the pastor of New Community here at EV Free. I oversee Rooted, baptism, membership, and a couple other things. And I just want to say, I am so excited to be with you guys. I really am. I feel like the last couple months, it's been an emotional roller coaster for me, so I feel a little bit out of the loop. Um, when I went to Israel, I had the privilege of going to Israel with Pastor Mike, with uh, many of you and Biola. It was an amazing experience. I mean, literally amazing. Came back just on this spiritual high. And two days after I get back, my two and a half year old daughter is at a friend's house and has an accident where she actually has the top of her thumb smashed, severed off. And it is incredibly traumatic, painful. It was so hard. And as a dad, it just grieves me. Uh, We've been into all these Kaisers all over Orange County, getting her taken care of. And right now she's doing really well, which is great. Talk about emotional roller coaster. In June, my third daughter is born into this world, Phoebe June. And she came on June 15th. Thank you. And um, I need you to pray for me because I have three girls. Um, (laughs) But uh, it's an incredible blessing. My wife Joy and I are so excited. But I want to say this to you guys. As the church family, you have blessed us. You have walked alongside us. You have supported us. You have prayed for us. We we have been well fed. I mean, you guys are unbelievable. So I just want to say thank you for that. It's good to be back. All right? Hey, this morning we're going to open up the Bible. Yes, we are. Genesis chapter 1. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1. And here's the great news. If you are new to our church, I want to say Welcome. We're going to have the scriptures up on the screen. You can follow along that way. We are going to move very quickly through the Old Testament land in the New Testament. Okay? So hang with me, if you will. Then I will talk about the relevance and what that means for us today. All right? So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. From the very first words in the Bible, we find that water has a very special significance in representing what God is doing in the world. So we're going to look through some various passages where water is described or mentioned and it represents or symbolizes God's work in the world. So Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering 
over the waters. So from the very beginning, we find that God creates. He is divine and sovereign. He is the master craftsman. That word creates is something in which only God can do. He is the one that is creating something out of nothing. And notice in verse 2, what he has in the progress of creation is formless and it's empty. In other words, it's uninhabitable for humanity at this point in time. And notice as well that the Spirit of God is hovering over the deep and the waters. And this image of the Spirit hovering is is almost like a, a mother hen over its chicks. But what we see from this passage right away is that although there's darkness and there's waters, which is commonly associated with chaos, not necessarily evil, obviously, at this point in creation, but God is taking what is chaotic and formless and disorderly, and he's bringing order out of it. And so, as we go through the next couple scriptures, you'll see Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is God creating everything, and what does he say about it? It's good, right? It's good. God creates and it is good, right? So turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. So for those of you who aren't as familiar with the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates humanity as the climax of his creation. But Genesis 3 is human rebellion. Adam and Eve do not believe in God's goodness and his love. They reject him. And as a result of that, sin, brokenness, infects all of creation. Not only is humanity broken in his relationship with his creator, but it also affects the relationship between Adam and Eve and humanity's descendants. But it also messes up the the order with creation and humanity as well. So, Genesis chapter 6. We again find water playing a significant role here in what God is doing in the world. But God loves his creation, but he sees it's wicked and rebellious. So starting in verse 11, we pick up on the story about Noah. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. What's God going to do? God is going to go ahead and, and, and save Noah and his family. He's going to save this remnant of humanity to start creation over again. God gets a mulligan, okay? God gets a reboot. He gets a fresh start. And he's doing it, why? Because he loves his creation in spite of its wickedness and brokenness. And so you know the story. Noah builds an ark. Two by two, the animals come in. The floodwaters come, 40 days, 40 nights. Humanity is destroyed, but Noah is this remnant. A righteous man who loves God, walks with God, is not perfect, but is rescued and saved as a result of the judgment God brings using waters to flood the earth. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. As you turn to Exodus chapter 14, uh, filling in the gaps of the story, we know that Noah, although he's a righteous man, is a sinner. And of course, humanity continues to sin, and in its brokenness, God is grieved still, but he has a plan. He raises up a nation, Israel. Israel is going to be a blessing to the world, because 
Israel is going to love God and follow him, obey his commands. Israel is going to be in God's presence. God's going to make that possible by giving them his law, his, his sacrificial system, and the priesthood. But right now at this part of the narrative, they are enslaved to Egypt. And we pick up the story about how God is going to rescue them out of slavery from Egypt. In fact, he's doing so right at this moment. Because Pharaoh has finally capitulated and he's releasing the Israelites. And Moses has been raised up as a deliverer to lead the Israelites out in the Exodus. Verse 19 of chapter 14. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Now the cloud represents God's divine presence. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on their left. So, whether you are a fan of Charlton Heston, whether you are a fan of Prince of Egypt, whether you're a fan of Christian Bale's version, the exodus is happening, right? Where God is leading his people and parting the Red Sea to rescue them, to take them from a place of slavery to exodus where they can go finally to the promised land, where they can dwell with God and enjoy the abundance of being his people. Why? So that ultimately God can restore and redeem all of humanity through his people. But we know, as we turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, keep going right, keep going right, we know that this doesn't happen real well, right? The nation of Israel fails to fulfill its vocation as God's holy people. Why? Because in spite of all that God does on their behalf, in spite of delivering them over and over and over again, in spite of the law that God gives, which was a good thing for them to understand how to have relationship with one another and with God properly, they still continue to rebel. They still continue to sin. And so what God does, he says, look, I am going to exile you from the land and as a result, bring judgment on you but I have not given up on you. In fact, I'm going to solve your greatest problem, your heart. Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36 offers some hope for the Israelite nation who's been exiled from the land and from God's presence. Verse 24 and following. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean i will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from your idols i will give you a new heart i'll put a new spirit in you i'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and i will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws and on it goes and ezekiel right here shows this hope that someday god is going to do something to bring israel back together and restore them into proper relationship with god but god goes right to the heart of the matter literally their heart is bent towards sin and god wants to replace that with a heart of flesh bent towards obedience to him are, are you are you tracking is everybody with me right now right do we need to get out and do some jumping jacks are we okay Okay, because I'm in. I'm totally in, all right? 
All right, we're going to the New Testament. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. We're looking at these different symbols that water reflects of God working in the world. So Matthew chapter 3 and following. We're starting off in verse 13. We have arrived to the story of Jesus. See, God knows that the only way this is going to happen is if he does it himself. So what does he do? He sends his Messiah, his own son Jesus, to arrive on the scene in Israel. Because all of Israel is anticipating. They've heard the prophets talk about it. When is God going to come back and restore Israel? How is he going to do this? How is he going to fix the situation we're in? Because right now, Israel's under Roman rule. So many people thought, oh, God's going to raise up a Messiah that's going to release us from political rule. But in fact, God is going to do something far greater and grander. And so he sends his own son, Jesus, to prepare his people to recognize their Messiah. He sends a messenger, John the Baptist, to go ahead and start proclaiming uh, that, hey, the kingdom of God is coming. In, in order to prepare for it, you need to come and be baptized in the Jordan River to prepare your hearts. Repent and be baptized. So his baptism, his immersion underneath the water is a sign for those Israelites that recognized we need to change our way of thinking. We need to change our way of life because God's coming back. And so people were flocking out to be baptized by this John the Baptist guy, but he was simply preparing the way for Jesus. So here we are in uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 and following. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now that seems weird, right? Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and we know from the New Testament, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man, why on earth would he need to be baptized by John? So John, of course, recognized this. He says, hey, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Now, there's a whole other study you could do on the word righteousness. We don't have time for that. But yet the idea is this. Jesus is the Messiah. And the Messiah's role is to represent the people of Israel to God. So if he's going to go ahead and do this, he wants to inaugurate his ministry to begin his ministry as the Messiah for all of Israel to recognize by first submitting to this idea of baptism modeled by John. Why? Because what he is saying is he's saying, look, if you want to participate in what the Messiah is doing in the world, you need to have the same kind of attitude that John the Baptist has been preparing the Israelite nation for, which is to repent, which is to turn away from your old way of thinking, your old way of life. And so Jesus is is modeling what is to come. If you want to participate, you're going to be baptized in me because I'm the Messiah and I'm representing this new restored Israel that God has always promised. So there's a lot packed in here. Notice this as well. Jesus, at this point, he says, this is proper to fulfill all righteousness. This is proper to fulfill the promises that God has laid out for the Israelite people. That's why I'm doing this. And then John consented. But notice this in verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Significant. At that moment, heaven was opened. Heaven represents God's divine presence. 
And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Genesis 1, do we hear echoes of Genesis 1? The Spirit hovering over the waters. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son. And who is referred to as Son in the Old Testament? Israel. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So what is happening here? What's happening here is that Jesus is being affirmed by God the Father as the Messiah of Israel so that the Israel would recognize that. In addition, Jesus is the new deliverer. He's the new Moses. He's leading the people on a new exodus. The parting of the Red Sea is reminiscent as we hear Jesus coming out of the water. The presence of 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 God in heaven as he's speaking to Jesus reminds us of the pillar of cloud back in Exodus chapter 14. Do you see these connections here? Israel would see these connections here. And so Jesus is doing something new. Instead of leading people out of slavery from Egypt into the promised land where God dwells, Jesus is going to be leading people out of bondage to their sin and lead them to the promised land of being with God by the Spirit dwelling in them. So, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Keep going, Matthew 28. As we read through the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, if we had time to do that, we would see that Jesus surely reflects uh, God's will and purpose to redeem and restore humanity. And what does he have to do? Jesus is not to release Israel from political rule from Rome. He's to release people from the bondage of sin. How does he do that? He goes to the cross and he dies on behalf of humanity. He takes sin upon himself, even though he's sinless. He atones for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. And he rises from the dead, demonstrating his authority, his power, and his victory over sin and death. And now the risen Jesus appears to his disciples and gives them marching orders, again where we find water is a part of that. Matthew 28. Let's start in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How has that happened? Because Jesus has demonstrated his authority and power over sin and death by rising from the dead. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Disciples means student or learner. That now go and make students and learners of me and my ways. This is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Now notice this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism, the word means to dip or immerse, right? And so if you were to be dipped or immersed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, what Jesus is basically saying is this, is that when you place your faith in me as the true Lord and Savior of the world, not only are you going to be forgiven, not only are you going to have resurrected life, by being united with me, you're going to have fellowship with the one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're going to get caught up in relationship and be a part of God's family forever. You are going to be the renewed and restored Israel. How? By faith in me, demonstrated in your baptism. You see, baptism is this demonstration of the gospel, of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And that's why it's so important when we first give our lives to Jesus Christ, he wants us baptized immediately. And he goes on, 
and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, in light of what Jesus has done, in light of what he's commanded his disciples to do, the church is birthed, right, in Acts chapter 1 and following, and what happens is this. For anybody who places their faith in Jesus Christ, they now have been forgiven of their sins, they now have the Holy Spirit residing in their life, and notice this, reminiscent of Genesis, reminiscent reminiscent of Noah, is we become a new creation. We become something new and different. And right now in a world that is still broken, that is still fallen, that is still sinful, we as followers of Jesus are actually now new creation, reflecting what God is doing in the world as he's working in our life by the power of his Holy Spirit. So you can imagine, boy, this is really tough to do. I mean, gosh, I've been forgiven. Look at what God has done in my life. Look at how God is wanting to restore the world and he's doing it through his people. And yet I still struggle with living in this broken and fallen world, even though I keep hearing about being a new creation because what have Jesus has done. And notice this, turn to Romans 6, we're going to land here. Romans 6, Paul talks about this. He, he talks about the importance of baptism in the day-to-day life of a follower of Jesus. That baptism isn't just something you do one time and that's it. It's something that you remember and that actually can help you in your spiritual growth with Jesus. So Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I even have little blue tags to help me. This is embarrassing. Okay. Verse 1. What shall we say then, then? Oh, maybe back up here. So the people in Rome, the Christians in Rome, were struggling with this whole idea. Because what Jesus is offering to everybody through his good news is that being restored back to God and becoming a new creation in Christ, that's a gift. It's free. You you don't deserve it. You can't earn it. And, And yet... The, the people at this church in Rome were struggling with this idea. Well, wait a minute. Well, doesn't this mean that we can just keep sinning? I mean, we, we got the gospel. We're good. We've been forgiven of our sins forever. Why not just keep sinning? And Paul is responding to that. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We're those who've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. See, what happens is, is when, when he says we're dead to sin, it means that if you're a follower of Jesus, you actually have been transplanted. You, you, your master which used to be sin, you were enslaved to sin. You just naturally had a propensity to do things that were against God's will. And for those of us who struggle with this idea, just look at your children, okay? Just look at your children. Do they need to be taught how to sin? Can I get an amen? Anybody? I mean, I I love my girls, right? By the way, pray for me. I got three daughters. Um, but, but it's amazing to me. And, and I look at my own life, I go, oh, it's so easy, right? To disobey what God, God wants for us. We don't trust him at times. So the point is this, is that Paul is saying, hey, count yourself dead to sin. You're no longer ruled by that master. Now you're still under influence because we live in this world, but you have been moved, boom. 
Your master is now Jesus. You're living under his grace. And so in light of that, when you keep running back and acting like sin is your master, that's not how you really are. That's not really you. I mean, it is you, but it's not really you. It's not your true identity anymore. You're no longer defined by this. Now, what's so interesting as followers of Jesus, and and the reason why I'm kind of hanging on this point, is we often come to baptism services and we get so excited because we get to celebrate with people, but I also want us to recognize that baptism is a gift for you and for me in our spiritual growth with God. Because in it, it reminds us of the picture of the gospel, of what God has done on your and my behalf. So for me, I was thinking about this, how the gospel, how specifically baptism, reminds me in my own Christian life to follow Jesus. And so one of the things that uh, I did a couple years ago is my wife and I owned a townhome, a three-story townhome, and we had to install fans into the townhome because it was so hot. And so my wife looks at me and she says this, which is like, I can't, you know, I can't believe she, she even said this. She said, hey, maybe you should get a friend to help you. What? Are, are, you, are you saying something about my manhood? I mean, what is your problem, honey? No, I have got this right? I've got this. And, and what's going on here is I just have this desire, right, to, to, to make myself look better than I really am, right? And so I'm like, I got this, no problem. So I get these fans, and I'm trying to install one up in our master bedroom. And you would think I'd get a stool to help me, like, step up and kind of put the fan in. No, I'm just going to stand up on the bed. So I stand up on this bed, and I'm, I got this, like, 100-pound fan motor on, I'm holding it up, and I'm getting out a screwdriver, and I'm trying to hang it, and I can't really see how to screw the thing in correctly because the motor is in the way. I mean, it'd be great if you had somebody to help you. And, and so I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm holding this thing, and I'm sweating, and I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, darn it, darn it, this is hard. <laughs> and then out of the blue, my wife comes around the corner at the moment where I'm just going to give up and just scream. My wife comes in, and she says, Oh, are you going to call a friend now? (laughs) And and I would just like to say that I lost my salvation that day. (laughs) The things that came out of my mouth. I I just, I mean, we had to go to marriage counseling afterwards. It was like horrible. And I realized that if you remember If you remember your baptism, you remember who you really are and you don't try to impress yourself or impress other people or try to look better than you really are. Why? Because you start to realize when you look at your baptism, you remind yourself of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And there's no pride. You see the cross, there's no pride. And yet we go through life, followers of Jesus, we go through life trying to live for somebody else's dream for our life. Or we, we live for what we think will answer all of our longings and dreams. And in the midst of it, what is Jesus saying? Oh, I love you. You're a new creation. That's the old you. You don't need that. I've already given you everything. And so if you're a follower of Jesus today, really the encouragement for you and for me is this, is to celebrate with the people that are going to be baptized today, but remember what Jesus Christ has done for you and live in light of the new life that you have with him. And so if I were to summarize this, I would say this. In the waters of baptism, Christ buried your old life so you can walk in new life. 
In the waters of baptism, Christ buried your old life so you can walk in new life. Can I get an amen? Okay, couple, it's not bad. This is incredible news for us. And so today, as we sit down and as we worship, I want us to think back and remember our baptism. If you are a follower of Jesus and you've done that, remember what God has done for you. Because you're going to be coming up to decisions today, tomorrow, this week, where you're going to be tempted to make those decisions based upon the old you rather than the new you. You see what I'm saying? But for those of you in here, you came today, you came today not expecting to get baptized. You came today not expecting to give your life to Jesus Christ. But there's some of you in here that have never given your life to Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. Because you've just heard story after story of, of how God is relentlessly in pursuit of you and me and others so that we might be reconciled to him. God wants to forgive you of your sin. You're living in a way that is enslaved to another master that will lead you to a life separated from him forever. And God doesn't want that. So God wants to invite you right now to turn your life over to Jesus Christ. And maybe, maybe, just maybe be baptized today. We've got towels, we've got shirts, we've got a team available for you. So here's what I'd like to do. I would like to pray for you right now. And would you bow your heads right now? And I just want to pray blessings over you. And if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ right now, you're going to have an opportunity. Just pray this simple prayer after me in your heart. God sees your heart. Lord Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I see that you are the Savior of the world. Jesus, I invite you to forgive me of all of my sin. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I invite your Holy Spirit to come in and give me a new heart, a heart obedient to you. God, would you help me walk with you? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So for those of you who've just prayed to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, I am so excited for you. Let us know. This is a huge deal. You're now part of God's forever family. You've been forgiven of your sins. You're invited now to demonstrate to everyone. I know it sounds crazy, right? But you're invited now to demonstrate your public declaration of faith. You can come forward. Our baptism team will help you. And you can just let the whole world know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and celebrate with all of us together. So if that's you, come down as we start doing some baptisms right now, okay? God bless you.